0: We have made it to the end of this teaching series that we've been in for the last few weeks called New in the Area, where we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter. One of the things that we try to do around here is to teach a balanced diet of God's Word. Sometimes we'll go verse by verse and, and through an entire book of the Bible, sometimes we'll do a topic, sometimes we'll do at the movies. I think we kind of want to make sure that we hit all the different learning styles that are out there. And also, my prayer as the pastor is that every time you walk in the door, you know God's going to give you something, but you have no idea how he's going to deliver it. So we like to keep you guessing and don't want anybody getting complacent. So we mix it up from time to time. And uh, this series, I've been incredibly amazed, kind of blown away as you... you walk through a particular book of the Bible, it's it's amazing to me to see how this book that was written by a specific author, the Apostle Peter, to a specific audience, a group of churches that were kind of on the frontier of Christendom 2,000 years ago, still resonates so powerfully, so relevantly in our lives right here and right now. It's an amazing thing to see, and I think as you... Do study the Word of God. You see what an amazing gift God has given us in Scripture. This, this book that is a compilation of writings overseen by the Holy Spirit of God, that, that God has inspired every single word of Scripture. And then it's our job to do the very best we can at interpreting that word and then applying that word and using it day in and day out. Today, as we wrap up this series on 1 Peter, you're going to see that the end section of 1 Peter is really characterized by three words that we're going to get into in in some detail. You you could call these the the famous last words of 1 Peter. You know, a lot of times when we talk about famous last words, it's words that people have spoken just before they pass away or just before they die. And because they're famous last words, they're usually spoken by Famous people. I've I've got just a few examples to share with you before we get into the message this morning. The first one is from Leonardo da Vinci, the artist, the engineer, the brilliant mind. These were Leonardo da Vinci's final words. I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Come on, Leo. Could you imagine if he had only applied himself? Think about that for a second. That's that's an incredible thing. I love what Thomas Edison said. It is very beautiful over there. Don't you kind of go, what was he seeing? Well, I mean, whoa, that's that's kind of, I don't know, that's almost prophetic. I love Charlie Chaplin. Charlie Chaplin, the great film star of silent films, was being read his last rites, and the priest who was reading Charlie Chaplin's last rites to him said, may the Lord have mercy on your soul. Here's what Charlie Chaplin said back to him. Why not? After all, it belongs to him. Now that's a sermon right there in your famous last words. Whitney Houston, most amazing voice of all time. I'm gonna go see Jesus. Wanna see Jesus. Isn't that amazing? If you were around for 9-11, you'll remember Todd Beamer. Todd Beamer, whose final words were, are you guys ready? Let's roll. As he and a group of passengers charged the cockpit of that errant flight that was headed back to Washington, D.C. and took down the terrorists, and they all perished in that crash. I thought Steve Jobs' final words were fascinating. Steve Jobs was one of the most fascinating people who's ever walked the planet. These were Steve Jobs' final words. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, Wow. Don't, wouldn't, wouldn't you love to know what he was saying that about? Just, oh, wow. Famous last words. You know, the famous last words of 1 Peter are, are Peter's attempt to focus the hearts and the minds of these fledgling churches that were scattered along the frontier in what is modern-day Turkey about Nine hundred, almost a thousand miles removed from the epicenter of the birth of Jesus's church in Jerusalem, and he's he's reminding them throughout this letter who they are because of whose they are, and he's reminding them this is what it looks like to live in and to live out this faith. And in these famous last words, he's trying to focus their attention. It, it, think about if somebody said to you, "Hey." I want you to name your last words to the people you love most about the things that matter most to you. What would your famous last words be? This is where Peter took the conversation with these churches. Now we know that there was later there were later iterations. There was a second Peter letter that was written, but this is the famous last words of 1st Peter. He's writing in about 62 or 63 it's about 30 years since Jesus was resurrected from the dead. 40 days, 40 nights, he lived on the earth after that and then returned to heaven. And at this point, the church is beginning to kind of pick up some steam, some momentum. But he's also reminding them that it, it, it will get hard. This, this is a difficult road that you have chosen to walk down. And in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 He begins with the first of these famous last words, 1 Peter 3.15. The Bible says, instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But, everybody say but. But. That is a big, big but. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Peter is reminding them, he's reminding them of of something that Jesus had said back in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus told His followers, he said, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Peter's saying here that the first famous last word is illuminate. Illuminate. As a follower of Christ, your job in this world is to light up your corner of the world. As a follower of Christ, it is your job, it is my job to tell people what we believe, and be able to explain why we believe it. It's not enough to just say, well, I go to church. That's, that's cool as far as it goes. But we've also got to be able to always be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have. Always be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready. Turn to your neighbor and like you mean it with a smile on your face to encourage them, tell them, Get, your ready on. Get you ready on. Get your ready on. Get your ready on. What if we were to say today? I tell you what, we're just gonna randomly pick people in the audience in the congregation today. And when I point to you, stand up and tell us the reason you have for the hope that you have in Christ. I love they brought the lights up. That was great. That was great. Some of you just threw up in your mouth. Like going, like were, all of a sudden, you're back in high school. I'm looking down, I'm looking down. I'm taking so many notes, I don't have time to answer the question. But this is not something that's reserved just for pastors or people who go to seminary. If you're a follower of Jesus... Always be ready. Always be ready. Be able to explain the reason for the hope that you have. Be able to tell your story of when and how you chose to follow Christ. Now, if and, I, and listen, I understand. I do. I do get it. I'm not. I'm not mocking it in any way, shape, or form. It. It can be intimidating especially in the world in which you and I live, to raise your hand and go, yeah, I'm a a Christian. I I believe that Jesus Christ came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross for me, rose from the dead, and because of what he did on the cross, I'm forgiven of every single sin I've ever committed. I'm not perfect yet, but I'm on the way, and I'm following him. That's... That's a mouthful and I get it. So what I'd like to do is just very quickly, let's let's talk about how you illuminate. How do you tell your story personally? It's it's straightforward, it's the most profound mystery the world has ever known. That a perfect holy God can forgive and live in relationship with incredibly flawed, unholy people. But that's the gig, That's, that's the good news. So how do you tell that story? It is profound and miraculous and mysterious, but it's also very straightforward. It's as straightforward as A, B, C. If you were at VBS this year, or you served at VBS, or you've ever been to our VBS, you know what I'm talking about. So I'll, here's, here's a, a great way just to remember this. We'll make it a little interactive. Give me an A. A. Admit. Just, just start by admitting your sins. I admit my sin. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is able and just to forgive us. If I will just own my junk, my my sin, and admit it to God, admit it to myself, the Bible says he is able, that means he has the authority, he has the power to forgive nobody but God can forgive our sin against God. He is able and just if we confess, if we admit. B, give me a B. B. Believe. To believe means Romans chapter 10, verse 9. If we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved, period, period. Hard stop. Believe. It's not enough to say, well, I believe in God. The Bible says that Satan believes in God, and the demons shudder. It's not enough to just believe in God. No, no, no. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He died on the cross taking the penalty for my sin, the penalty for your sin, and he rose from the dead. He did what we couldn't have done for ourselves. And so we believe that. We, we own that intellectually, spiritually, personally. We appropriate that. We believe it. But, but believing it is just the beginning. So A, we admit. B, we believe. C, give me a C. C. Choose. You got to choose. I had to choose. Others who are followers of Christ had to choose to follow Christ. You had to choose to step over that line of faith, of trust, personally and definitively. When we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, what we're saying is, you are God and I am not. And I'm going to choose to follow you. I'm going to choose to surrender my life, to submit to you, A-B-C, admit, believe, and choose. Now, you know how to do this. So next week I want to report from everybody about how many times you did it this coming week. I'm just kidding, you don't have to do that. But why not? Why not illuminate? You, you can tell people about Christ. You can invite people to church. Recently I had an opportunity to do a wedding, and it was fascinating to me. Fascinating. I, I walked, I got, arrived at the wedding site, and I saw a couple who, who's a member of our church. And I didn't even realize this when I got there, but this couple had invited the groom that I was doing the wedding for. And the groom, who is a Christian, had accepted Christ, and he has started inviting other people to come to church. There were people who were there at the wedding. They're like, Mac, I'm like, what's up? Because one by one, life by life, these people are illuminating the people around them. They're They're lighting up their corner of the world with the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It may be an invitation to church, but it may be a personal conversation where you get down to the ABCs of faith. It's it's illuminating. It's lighting it up. But then Peter Peter takes it to another level. He he revisits one of the recurring themes of this letter, and it's, it's the theme of suffering. It's the theme of suffering that, that Peter talks about a good bit. Look in chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verse 8. First Peter 4, starting with verse 1, it says, So then, since Christ suffered physical pain, you must arm yourselves with the same attitude he had and be ready to suffer too. For if you have suffered physically for Christ, you have finished with sin. You won't spend the rest of your lives chasing your own desires, but you will be anxious to do the will of God, verse 8. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that the truth? If you know that somebody loves you, if you know that they place your needs above their own, isn't it true that you're a lot more forgiving of them? You know, if if let, let's say let's say take your parents for example. I don't care how old you are, I don't care how young you are. If you know that your parents love you unconditionally and they're doing the best that they can as human as they may be, Emily, then you know they love you. And you know they're human, you know they're going to make mistakes, but when you know they love you and they put your needs above their own and they're trying their best, then that allows us, I think, many times to kind of go, you know what, dad completely blew it on this one. But bless his heart, he's doing the best he can with what he's got to work with, and so I'm going to cut him a little slack once. Love covers a multitude of sins. If you truly love deeply, profoundly, you, you get a little margin for error. You get a little grace relationally. But this, this passage at, at the very beginning of chapter four, Peter says you have to adopt the same mindset as Christ Jesus, that, that you have to have the same Mindset towards even even suffering. So first of all, we first of all we illuminate our corner of the world, but here he's saying it's not enough just to illuminate, we also have to imitate. We have to imitate Christ. We have to walk in his wake. His thoughts become my thoughts. His passions become my passions. My mind begins to reflect the mind of Christ. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, metamorphosized, changed by the renewing of your mind. Have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. But then he says something so fascinating. He says, if you are willing to suffer, even physical suffering, then you are done with sin what? Now, I've been, I've been doing the Jesus thing for a while now. And I can just tell you, I'm not done with sin. I, I, anybody here done with sin? Anybody here married to somebody who thinks they're done? Don't raise your hand. My point is, in this lifetime, we will never, ever, ever, ever reach moral perfection. Sin is going to be a continuous battle for us to fight, but but when a person comes to faith in Christ, when they make the sea choice to follow Jesus, in that moment, in that instant, the spiritual war in their soul is won for eternity. The, the, the war is decided at that point. You know that because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection... And the fact that that person has chosen to appropriate it for their own, that has been applied to their account. They, They are saved in that instant. But just because the war is won doesn't mean that there won't be some more battles to be fought before the complete cessation of hostilities. There are a lot of battles to come. Jesus even promises, in this world you will have many problems. There will be battles to be fought. Some you'll win, some you'll lose, but we know the end game. We know what happens because he lives. We know we can face tomorrow. We know that because he lives, the war is won. That is staggering, and just that fact that truth that we hold on to that are anch- that's anchoring our faith, we can stand up for Christ. We can stand up for Christ and endure even physical suffering. Remember, Peter is writing this within a year or two of Emperor Nero launching the most heinous, graphic, Persecution of the Christian church. He's telling these churches, buckle up. This this could get bad before it gets better. But he's saying the war is won, but we will have battles. June the 6th, 1944, was D-Day. D-Day was the day that the Allies began to reclaim Europe from Nazi fascism. Throughout World War II, Nazi Germany had occupied most, if not all, of Eastern Europe and pushed their regime all the way to the shores of France on the English Channel. But on June the 6th, the Allies launched the most meticulously planned battle in the history of humanity, Over 156,000 soldiers, airmen, marines, and sailors assaulted a 50-mile stretch of coast known as Normandy. Establishing that beachhead, winning D-Day in the days that followed was the beginning of the end of World War II. It wasn't the end, but it was the beginning of the end. If you've watched the miniseries Band of Brothers or read the book, you know that Easy Company was a band of brothers of the 101st Airborne Division. They parachuted into France. Their first battle was there at Braycourt Manor. They fought their way across France. They made their way through Belgium. As a matter of fact, they were part of the Battle of the Bulge and one of the most brutal winters that Europe has ever known December of 1944 to January 1945, in this siege like situation. But it was Easy Company in May 1945, Easy Company that captured the Eagle's Nest, Hitler's mountain hideout. It was Easy Company that captured this crown jewel. Of the Nazi regime for the Allies claiming victory just before VE Day, victory in Europe Day, May the 8th, 1945. There's a famous, famous picture of Easy Company at the Eagle's Nest. I have a hair on my arm standing up. This is Easy Company at the Eagle's Nest drinking Hitler's wine. That's how you, America. That's one of the greatest, incredible, most incredible pictures of all time. And if you just saw this picture, you would think, well, that would, you know, they landed and then they went to the Eagle's Nest, great. But that doesn't take into account the battles they fought along the way. That doesn't take into account the Battle of the Bulge. When you and I come to faith in Christ... It is the beginning of the end. The end game has already been determined by Christ. But we still have battles to fight before we claim the eagle's nest spiritually, before we claim our prize in Christ in heaven. And so, yeah, we we illuminate this world, but we're also called to imitate Christ through the battles and to, above all else, Love deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. 1 Peter chapter 5 begins with a specific word to pastors and those who lead in the church. But I wanted to just mention it to you, because I think it's a good thing for you to know. I think it's a great reminder for those of us who lead in the church. The end of verse 1, chapter 5, Peter says, Now as a fellow elder, I appeal to you. Care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly and not grudgingly, not for what you will get out of it, because you are, but because you are eager to serve God. Again, it's this, this message that Peter kept hammering over and over and over again throughout this book. Submission, submission. Even as you lead in the church, the bride of Christ, you submit, you Sacrificially lead, whether you're a pastor or an elder or an overseer, whatever term you want to use, just like you do as a husband and a father, as a mother and a wife. Any leadership in the gospel context begins with sacrifice, just like Jesus, sacrifice. He says here that as pastors, care for the flock. That, that's, that's where you get the word pastor, it means a shepherd. When you think pastor, think pasture. That's where the the shepherd operates. And then Peter says this in verse 8: He says, Stay alert. Stay alert. Work on your motor skills. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. When you feel attacked, understand that you're not alone. This is not unique. Your situation may be unique, but the fact that you are being attacked is common to everyone in the family of faith. Everyone. So, we illuminate, we imitate, but man, Peter is is reminding us here. He's saying, whatever you do, don't forget that this is not an individual sport. The Christian faith is a team sport, so make sure that you integrate into the body of Christ. Make sure that you are part of the body of Christ. And that the deeper you integrate into that body, the more you participate and collaborate with the church, the better off you're gonna be. It's great. It is important that we gather together once a week. But this is where it starts. Where are you taking your spiritual growth to the next level? Where are you building relationships with people who believe the same, who will encourage you in your faith? Where are you using your gifts and your talents? I had a conversation recently with a guy who lives in another state, so this is not about anybody who lives here. Some of you think, I know who he's talking about. No, you don't. (laughs) And he made the comment in our conversation very innocently. He said, you know, <clears throat> we, we got out of the habit of going to church during COVID and i would be honest, man, it's been tough to get back. I said, listen, I get it. I'm the pastor. It was hard for me to go back some days. He goes, but you know what? I gotta be honest too. I get just as much out of it watching it online as I do if I'm in the room. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, I get that. I absolutely a thousand percent get that. And if getting something out of it were all that there were to it, that'd be great. But how do you contribute if all you're doing is getting something out of it? If if you're not with the family of faith, you're not contributing to it. Some of you are thinking right now, well, Mac, man, you don't want me singing at church. That's going to hurt the cause of Christ if I sing out loud. No, it's not. The Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord. I sit down here, I sing my guts out. I can't carry a tune in a bucket. You have something to contribute by being a part of the family of faith, by integrating. Integrating comes from the same word that gives us the word integrity. It means completeness and wholeness. The body of Christ needs you. The body of Christ wants you, and you need the body of Christ. You want the body of Christ. You want to be associated with people who will help you. I thought about this this past week as I was preparing for this message. I thought about just the last couple of years and the people that I've talked to, the people that I know, people like me. Is anybody in the last couple of years, has anybody gotten tired over the last two years at any point in time? Just raise your hand if you have. Thank you for your honesty. Keep your hands up. That's okay. Some of you are like, yeah, I did. No, it's good. These are battle scars. This is muscle memory God's building into our lives for whatever comes next. He's, he's preparing us. And it hit me the grace of God that He's given me with the friends that Julie and I have. I, th- I think about some, somebody many of y'all will know if I call his name, David Hughes, who has preached here, my buddy who's a pastor down in South Florida. Man, David Hughes has been a Lifeline. If I start to get tired, if I start to get like, Man, I, don't, I don't know what I'm doing. David, I call David. I call Julie. I call Julie all the time. Julie is haven to me. She is rest for my soul most of the time. <laughs> but she is. And there are days where I'm just like, hey, whew, I'm done. We're going to dinner. She's like, Mac. it's four. I said, I know. The empty nest. And it's just, it's just, whew, just catch your breath. But you only get that to the degree that you integrate with the family of faith, that you're a part of it, that you're growing, that you're serving, that you're praying together, that you're worshiping together. These. Famous last words. We illuminate, and we got got to be able to tell our story. Or, or at the very least, invite someone with you to church where they'll hear the story. Imitating Christ, that's, that's kind of the whole shooting match, isn't it? If I'm following Jesus, then I'm going to imitate him. But also, man, I, I want to integrate. You, you people are good for me, good for my soul. I, I think if you, if you kind of boil down and condense First Peter's famous last words, I think it would come down to this. Don't settle, don't don't settle for just hydroplaning through. Don't settle for a skin-deep relationship with Christ, and lean in, dig in. The more you dig in, the more you see, it only gets better. I want to ask you to bow your heads for just a moment. And in this moment, if, if you are here today and you have never chosen to follow Christ, you've never chosen to admit your sin to him, maybe even to yourself, if you've never believed that God raised him from the dead and confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then as a church family, we want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. To begin following Christ, living in a relationship with Him. It doesn't matter what your parents did or didn't do. It doesn't matter what they've said or not said. This is about you and Jesus. If you want to begin that relationship, then we invite you just to pray silently right where you are. Whether you're here in the room or you're online, to pray and just say something like this in your own words. Just say silently, Jesus, I need you. I admit my sin to you. I'm not trying to hold anything back or cover anything up. I just, I admit it. And Jesus, I believe, I believe that you are who you say you are. I believe that you rose from the dead and I believe that you are God and I am not. And in this moment, I choose to follow you. I choose to step over this line of faith personally and definitively to begin this relationship with you. Jesus, thank you for this moment. Thank you for this understanding that you have given me. And I commit my life to you from this moment forward. For just a moment, I wanna ask you to remain with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If that was your prayer, this is the biggest moment of your life. And the privilege and the responsibility, but the privilege we have as a church is to help with the moments that follow. So I would ask you just a couple of things. Number one, if you would, let us know that you responded to God's grace initiative that way. You can use the QR card that's in the seat back in front of you. If you're in the front row of a section, it'll be underneath your chair. If you're online, there's a place for you to indicate there as well, too. And all that does is it begins a dialogue, just a conversation about what's next. It proceeds at whatever pace works for you. We just wanna help. The second thing, if you would, is our heads are bowed for just another moment. Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand and hold it up high in the air for just a moment. Your hand in the air is just just a spiritual statement of the physical, I'm sorry, a physical statement of the spiritual commitment that you just made. And so as a family with you, we honor that. We celebrate that with you. There is nothing more important to us. The Bible says that all of heaven celebrates when one person makes that decision that you made today. And since heaven celebrates, we do too. As you put your hands down, we're gonna put our hands together and tell you, welcome home. (laughs) Welcome home.